Well, thank you, church, for that fine singing. It's good to be together. And Jeremy, I forgot to open my rip and sip today because I was thinking about what you said so much. I appreciate the words that you bring us week after week. Thank you for that. I had to fumble around for it. It was in my pocket. I just, oh, yes. I appreciate that you direct our thoughts again and again and again to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians. Take your pick, chapter 8, 9, or 10. I don't care. One of those, we're going to be in all three of those. So uh, pick one of those and that's where we're going to be. 1 Corinthians chapters 8, 9, and 10. How many of you have uh, sanitary handy wipes in your car now? I didn't used to, but I got them in my car. I got them in my house. I got them in my office. They are everywhere in my life now, post-pandemic. They're just, they're there. I heard, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this new brand of wipes, apparently, uh, from the Pilot Corp. Uh, they don't just clean your hands, but apparently they also absolve you of all moral responsibility for other people. Okay, I made that up. But I tell you what, if there were such things, they would be hot sellers in our culture because we wish and we are constantly looking for ways not to have to think about others. It's kind of one of our favorite things is to come up with excuses to say, I don't need to think about your problems. One of my favorite phrases right now is, that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. But we have a thousand ways to say that. You made your bed, now you got to lie in it. If you guys weren't acting the way you are, you wouldn't be having those problems. I like to cut myself off and absolve myself, wash my hands like Pilate, of the problems other people are having. And 1 Corinthians Chapters 8, 9, and 10, Paul, dealing with a very specific issue, very cultural, very specific issue that was going on in the first century in this church that had mostly Gentiles but some Jews in it, this multiracial church, Paul pulls in very general principles that are absolutely as significant in the 21st century as they were in the first century. So church, I'm going to encourage us to listen up to what Paul said. Remember what Paul began his letter to the 1 Corinthians with. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Again and again and again, the people who are 
stuck out there in the world system. They are often pursuing partially good things. But when they hear about the cross, which is the true good thing, it does not make sense to them. It does not compute. It sounds foolish. And here in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians, we run into one of those issues. We had read for our scripture reading this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. Paul says, for though I'm free in respect to all, he starts chapter 9 with that same claim. I'm an apostle, I'm free. I don't have obligations under the law of Moses. I don't have obligations that sometimes people try to put on me. That's not the issue. This is not an issue that I owe you these things. I'm free with respect to all. I have made myself a slave to all. This is something I choose to do so that I might win some. I do this out of love for the church and for the lost and above all for the kingdom of God. To the Jews, I become like a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not bound by the law so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I become like one outside the law. Though I am not free from God's law, I'm under Christ's law, which in Paul's mind is far greater and deeper, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I become weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might win some. That's just such a great passage. There's so much in there. You would do your, your heart good to go over that passage every day this week. Uh, it's, just, it's just so much good. See, the deal is, Paul says, yeah, Christ sets us free from stuff. He believes Christ sets us free from the old law. The, if you're filling in the blanks, what I have there is... Paul sets us free from our old dead lives. That's the answer. But, but Paul sets us free, uh, uh, Christ sets us free from a bunch of stuff, Paul thinks. From our old way of sin, the old fleshly uh, trap that we are in. We are set free from a lot of things. And in, and in the way the world thinks, being set free from is the end of the story. Yeah, I need to be set free from. I need to be set free from my sixth grade teacher. I need to be set free from the control of my parents. I need to be set free from these stinking taxes the government's in. I need to be free from this speed limit. Why? I need to be set free from that guy who's driving so slow in front of me. I need freedom from. And from well you know freedom from is actually pretty cool it's a partial good but it's not the real good that freedom is for because the freedom of Jesus Christ is not just a negative thing subtraction take away obstacles 
The obstacles are there and they need to be subtracted and Jesus' power does that in your life. Takes away things that are holding you back. But he does that because you have a purpose. Human beings are built for a purpose. You need freedom to become what you were designed to be. And so Jesus Christ sets you free for your purpose, for growth into Christ's sacrificial love. And Paul says, I don't have to do what I do, but I do it. I make myself a slave to everybody I'm with, trying to get the gospel to have a hearing so that the Holy Spirit can save people through my voice. Paul says, that's what I do. That's how I express the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ who first saved me. I don't have to do that, but because of the love of Christ that saved me, I now make myself do that. Now that's the principle that he's illustrating. Let's go back to chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He's dealing with a very specific cultural issue uh, that was for that particular interracial church, mostly Gentiles, some Jews. And he says, now, let's talk about food sacrifice to idols. That was a very specific first century issue. The Jewish Christians that would have been the minority in that church grew up being taught that the food that was on display in the Gentile marketplaces, in the grocery stores, if you will, uh, probably wasn't kosher. You probably shouldn't have anything to do with it because it might have been sacrificed to idols. And a lot of it actually was, to be fair. You'd go, you'd sacrifice you know, a bucket of grain to the gods or goddesses. You'd sacrifice a bull or a goat to the gods and goddesses. A little bit of the food would stay there, get burned up. The rest of it would be kind of packed off and sold in the marketplace. And people would take it home and cook it and eat it. And so, just don't eat that stuff. Unless it comes from a good Jewish grocer, unless it comes from a good Jewish butcher that you know, just, you better not. You better not. Better safe than sorry. That was the custom. That was the tradition, we think. And so what do you do when you've got an interracial church? Well, Paul says, the fact is, those idols are zeros. Those temples and the gods in those temples are nothing. And our knowledge of God tells us there's only one God. And so nothing bad is actually happening to the food. And the food laws of the Old Testament and these food taboos that have derived from the food laws of the Old Testament really are no longer binding on Christians. That's knowledge that Christ brings to us. Now concerning food sacrifice to idols, verse 1, we know that all of us possess knowledge. We know that the food laws have been rescinded. And then he says this, this is like such a beautiful statement. I told one of my classes, I don't get tattoos, 
But this is one of the statements that I've been tempted to get a tattoo over. I don't get tattoos. We tell our kids, don't let other people color on your body. Uh, but this is one of the statements I've been tempted to get tattooed. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I'm a PhD. I make my living telling other people, you know, making myself look knowledgeable. And I need this message. Knowledge puffs up, makes you proud, tends to make you haughty. Love builds up. We all need that a little bit. You've not learned what I've learned. You've not studied as hard as I've studied. Or maybe you just don't love Jesus as much as I love Jesus or you would have seen it the way that I've seen it. And because you haven't learned what I've learned, you have the audacity to think that you're right and I'm wrong. You have the audacity to tell me that I'm wrong. You know, I have a good mind to get right in your face and in the most shocking way possible display my superior knowledge to you in the most offensive way I can think of. That'll teach you. That's actually what's going on here. Some of the Corinthian Christians had said, I need to assert my rights in this circumstance. I'm free. The gospel says I'm free. These stick-in-the-mud Jewish Christians who still have worries and taboos about food, maybe the best thing I can do is go over there and eat a nice lobster right in their grill. Eat something that came straight off of, a, of an idol uh, altar and, and just kind of, you know, carve it up and eat it right in their face. Because I know what they should know, if they really loved Jesus and studied like I have, they would know it. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food, Offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, uh, in fact, there are many gods, many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, for whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think the food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall. Do I have the right to eat? 
Yep. Are they the ones who have a problem? Yep. Are they the ones who should mature in knowledge? Yeah. Who should solve that problem then? Paul says. Turns out, from the perspective of humanity, it's a them problem, not a me problem. From the perspective of the love of Christ, it's a me problem. Christ, the cross of Christ, says it's a me problem. The strongest of the entire universe, taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient even to death, He made my problem his problem. Paul comes back to that idea in chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, open up to chapter 10. Look down at verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. He kind of said that back in chapter 6, you may remember. He's kind of quoting something they say. All things are lawful. You know, the law of Moses has kind of been rescinded. <clears throat> or big parts of it have. All things are lawful. Paul kind of agrees, but he says, but you know, there's more to the story than that. Not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful. Not all things are upbuilding, build up, edify. Don't seek your own advantage but that of the others. He says, look, you can eat whatever's out there in the meat markets and don't worry about it. You don't have to raise any question on the grounds of conscience. And the reason for that, verse 26, is the earth and its fullness belong to the Lord. If an unbeliever invites you in for a meal and you're disposed to go, eat whatever's set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered to a sacrifice, then don't eat it out of conscience. Out of consideration for the one who informs you and for the sake of conscience, I mean the other's conscience, not your own. For why should my liberty be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why should I be denounced for what I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, so that they may be saved. Paul says, look, you have all the rights you've always had. You've got all the privilege you've ever had. That's not the issue. What you're interested in is not standing up for your rights. Now, rights and standing up for your rights is a partial good. There are times when it's appropriate. In an abusive situation, it's appropriate to call on strength to stand up for rights. In an abusive system, it's appropriate to call on strength to stand up for rights. It's actually a Christian thing to do in those circumstances. 
It's a partial good thing. But there are a lot of times when I get all head up about my rights that have nothing to do with those two circumstances. They have to do with my pride, my ego, my worry about my status relative to the people around me. You don't understand. I don't feel like I've been given proper respect. I don't feel like I've been given proper honor. I don't feel like people really appreciate all that I do for this corporation, this church, this family, this group. I don't feel like I've been, and, I, and you know, I don't think other people are going to recognize it unless I stand up for myself. You know, I need this passage to remind me when I start to feel that way. I need this passage to be there. Because you know what makes me think of? I have to stand up for my, I fight for myself. Nobody else is going to honor me if I don't honor myself. Nobody else is going to give me respect if I don't give respect to myself. Nobody else is going to stand up for my rights if I don't stand up for my own rights. You know what it makes me think of? I think about the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment day. Everybody. All human beings. All the dead have come out of the grave. The sea has been forced to disgorge all those who have drowned in it. And there they are. They're all standing there waiting to be judged. Some people have already been placed on the left hand. Some people have already been placed on the right hand. And it's Jesus who's doing the judging. And I walk up. And I look at Jesus and there he is. His hands still bear the wounds of the cross. His feet are still pierced from the nail that went through. His head still has the marks of the crown of thorns. His side still pierced. Now look at all the people who are on the right side and guess what? They are all showing the washing in his blood. And he looks at me and he says, now, um, you were saying something about your rights? Rights are a partial good. But Jesus Christ is the good. And he saved you so that you could grow up into the good. His image. To give and to give. To save those around you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this amazing grace of Jesus Christ who sacrificed for us. And God, give us strength and power to become like him, to see those in need around us and to, to be what we can be, 
even when it sometimes takes giving up our rights or our interests to serve those around us. Help us to be those who, when we have strength, to use that strength for those who are weaker. When we have wisdom, to use that wisdom to help those who are more foolish. When we have power, to use that power to aid those who have been beaten down. God, please help us to be those people who serve the good of the love of Jesus Christ. These things we pray in his mighty name. Amen. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, if you need prayers or help, or if today is the day that you want to be baptized, washed in his blood, and begin life anew, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.